This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I should say host, but also realtors with Oakland Realty in downtown Vancouver. And today is a very special day, not only for the two guests that we have in studio, but this is episode 400. Can, can you believe that? Can you believe we finally got a live studio audience? Yeah, we finally got the Okay, whole... sit down, everyone. Yes. <laughs> but it is, it's very, uh, we have a new control panel. I, I don't, what's going on here? But honestly, it's amazing that we hit 400 episodes, 400 weeks in the book, 400 weeks in the book. I always say we've been doing this about eight years. And actually, as I was walking up here, I was thinking 52 weeks in a year, it's about eight years worth of shows. It's about so, eight years. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A little over. Uh, it feels good. Yeah, it does feel good. Hopefully uh, you've learned a thing or two, B-Rep community. Yeah, I know I have. I, I have as well. And actually, we were going to do just the two of us, but we came upon an opportunity for the 400th episode we, we that we couldn't it. pass up. Now, get this. If I told you we had the CEO of REBGV, that's the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver, Jeff King, coming into the studio, I'd be like, man, that's a big get. Yeah. What if I told you we also had the CEO of BCREA, the British Columbia Real Estate Association, Trevor Coote, also in the studio with Jeff King. Oh, back. It, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's what I would yeah. be doing if I was at home right now. This is two wildly entertaining guys, two wildly interesting guys and very bright guys in the studio this week. I absolutely loved having Trevor and Jeff in the studio. Uh, super funny guys too. There's some great stories that came out of today. Uh, super bright. We're talking about the real estate industry, the future of the real estate industry, how technology is changing. It's phenomenal because, okay, so just as a, a bit of a recap, Trevor Coote, and I'll let him talk about his background, but he's worn almost every hat you can possibly wear in real estate from right. agent to all the way to like multiple broker, brokerage owner, a property uh, management, property company management, with hundreds company. of doors. Yeah. So, I mean, he knows, and, and now he's kind of in the, the bureaucratic sense of uh, BCREA. So, I mean, literally he's, he's been across every, every facet of the industry. And then you have Jeff King coming out of the music industry. Right. Knows like every celebrity in Canada, every an, indi musician. an industry that has been disrupted. Yes, a little bit in the last co a couple decades. A hundred percent. Like he was there when like Napster, and he brings up a few of them. They're yeah, pretty funny. I'm, I, I'm, I, I remembered all the. Remember when it was just like you just kept moving to different, different yeah, and then pirating, it was bit, bit, bit torrent. No, bit, bit torrent. Maybe bit torrent. Bit torrent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, he remembers it all. He was there when music went from being like Columbia House to just widely dispersed uh, to you Spotify. Know, to Spotify. He literally yeah. walked through that entire process. And uh, he has some 
he sees some similarities. Let's just put he it that sees way. Parallels in, in between the, the real estate industry, yeah. industry for sure. What I liked about this, Adam, was yeah, you have these two guys with from from different backgrounds. I feel like if you're in the real estate industry, this is a must listen. Oh, 100%. and potentially, I shouldn't say terrifying. It's just we're in a we're in a moment of change. I think seems to be uh, what we're talking about, and what that change looks like is really interesting. I feel like if you're not in the real estate industry, this is also a super interesting conversation because it's one of those stories of disruption of an industry that's done things the same way for. Call it a hundred years, nearly, and evolution, and yeah, an evolution in in real and, estate. And and what does what does buying and selling and investing in real estate look like a, a year from now, eighteen months from now, five years from now, ten years from now? Totally, uh, change is coming faster than you think. By the sounds of things, it's it's an interesting one. This is a wild ride. But before we get to that, Adam, of course, this episode is sponsored by Scalina Real Estate. This is our real estate firm. We have an exciting listing yes. that uh, we wanted to highlight this week. Featured over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We got 430-1588 East Hastings. That's the Bowen building. This is a one-bedroom, almost 11-foot ceilings. Unbelievable unit. It's on the back where side else, of the... Where else? Just, let's, just a, a question for you. Yeah. In East Vancouver, apart from some of the, the lofts... Yeah. Apart from some of the lofts like right on Main and, you know, second, third, fourth, and then maybe in Gastown. Yeah. Where are you getting 11 foot ceilings? Hard to get 11 foot ceilings. And I got to tell you. I would say it's nearly impossible. You know, the longer you're in this industry and the more homes you see, things like this really stand out. And it's like, you can't change that. You know, I mean, you can renovate your kitchen, you can renovate your bathroom. You can't get over height ceilings. Blow out a wall. You can't blow out a ceiling. No. That's what they say. That's what they say. Is that what they say? And Matt, uh, anyways, this is a fantastic property. Large one bedroom at Bowen Bowen. A fantastic building in the Hastings uh, Street Corridor. Close to everything. Anyways, this is a great one. Check it out on our site, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And and while you're there, Adam. Yes. While you're there, hit sell with us because we have a document. And Corey Wright made some comments that may be accurate, but it is definitely the most downloaded document we have ever had on Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. It's called The Sold Plan. Yeah, Matt. Sold Plan is a step-by-step guide to get your property sold for top dollar in the shortest amount of time. And really sold in this case stands at start on launch date. It's an acronym. Right. Uh, and really, you want to pick the start date. It gives you instructions from what to do before that date to get your home ready. And it's really instructional. There's checklists. It's easy. It's evergreen. And you should own it. You should have that document. Whether you're selling now or selling in the future, it's just good to have on on file. And we'd, of course, love to work with you. But you literally hit sell with us and it's a, it's a direct download. You get it, yeah. the document. So yeah. it's it's really easy. That's VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Sell with us. But Adam, maybe we should cut to our talk. This is a long one, but, but it's, it's, a, it. it's a good one. And I can say that with 100%. I'll guarantee it. Trevor Coote, CEO of BCREA, and Jeff King, CEO of REBGV. What an episode for number 400. I can't wait. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, 
over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Trevor Coote, CEO of BCREA, and Jeff King, CEO of REBGV. How are you doing? So good. Thanks for having us. Doing great. Happy to be here. This is a real coup for us to have uh, both of you guys down at, uh, at the studio. So thanks for coming. So just to be clear, you can't get away with saying that when we've heard the podcast and you say it about everybody. <laughs> else as well. like, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. So the fan favorites are back. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. By, by big demand. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, maybe we'll we'll start with Jeff, but CEO of REBGV, can you maybe tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, sure. I uh, grew up in a small town on, on uh, southern Ontario. Just kidding. I did. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, so RevGV is the uh, real estate board for uh, Greater Vancouver. Uh, the uh, uh, There's three or four main things that we do. One is around education and uh, government advocacy work, as well as uh, operating the MLS and general standards of uh, uh, of care and disputes and all those types of things. We have about 15,000 members, uh, operate predominantly in the lower mainland. And uh, I'm happy to be here today. And we have to... We you have, know Drake. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> yeah, we have to ask Jeff. You, I, I you're, that you're newer, to, yeah. newer to real estate, but... Uh, New to real estate, but uh, yeah, if you Google, um, if, if you Google Drake's uncle, uh, Christmas gift, and you'll see an image of a, a certificate that I gave to Drake with my signature on it. Uh, I encourage the listeners not to take my signature and apply it to other things. But, <laughs> but, um, uh, but uh, I was fortunate enough, I spent a, a couple of decades uh, working at uh, SoCan, which is uh, Canada's music licensing uh, body, and uh, had an opportunity to meet a number of people, uh, including uh, one of the living Beatles. Uh, wow. Ringo. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you met Paul? Oh, thank God, thank God. Yeah, but, um, but anyways, it was a, a fun job and uh, an industry that went through a lot of transition and uh, disruption uh, while I was there. I started in early 2000s. I left in 2021. And I see a lot of parallels with our industry here in real estate, frankly. I was hoping you were going to say no similarities. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. And of course, uh, Trevor Coote, uh, CEO of PCREA. Thanks for coming down. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no uh, cool Beatles stories, uh, <laughs> unlike my uh, esteemed colleague. Um, but uh, to be fair, it did get way less cool really fast. <laughs> your, your story. <laughs> Not Paul. <Yeah. laughs> um, but but like Jeff, I, I was born in Ontario. And uh, yeah, I won't, I won't go through the whole lineage either. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been in the industry for nearly 20 years. I've worn all of the hats. I, I was a realtor, I, a broker. I've uh, owned several brokers. Uh, a property management company. I was the chair of the 
um, the regulator in Saskatchewan, uh, part of an international regulatory group. And then I was uh, with the Kamloops Real Estate uh, Association and uh, the Kootenai Association of Realtors at the same time until uh, last year, 2022, at which time I uh, came into this role at, uh, at BCREA following the amalgamation of those uh, organizations into the Association of Interior Realtors to create a bigger board. Yeah. Wow. And do you live in Vancouver? Live in Vancouver now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, uh, my wife and I just bought a little townhouse in, in Chinatown and we're absolutely loving it. Wow. Yeah. So can we maybe start just, uh, well, first of all, I guess talk just why, why real estate? I mean, you both come from diverse backgrounds, but can you talk about your entry into real estate? All right. Uh, we'll do uh, age before beauty. I guess I'll go first. <laughs> um, so when, uh, when I left uh, SOCAN, I was at a sort of stage in my career. I thought, well, I want to do something where I can have a huge impact. And uh, I started talking to different folks in different industries and, and in different cities, frankly. So I was based out of Toronto at the time. And uh, as a happenstance had it, I ended up speaking to the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver. And uh, the more uh, I learned and the more I researched into the industry as going through that process... I got more and more excited about it. You know, frankly, I probably could have taken another music industry job or done something like that, but I thought I want to try something different. So I did something that not a lot of people do in their 50s, change cities and industries and provinces, I guess, uh, in one fell swoop uh, in, uh, in their late 50s. But what appealed to me about it is I saw a lot of parallels from where I was coming from. You know, the disruption that entertainment went through in the early 2000s with the rise of uh, Internet 1.0, really, for lack of a better word, um, you knew things like uh, streaming music and streaming movies and television shows was coming. The technology wasn't quite there yet, you know, but the early stages of it were there. And so that transformation, which started like with Napster and BitTorrent and Kazaa and all these types of things, eventually became mainstream things with a brand new business model and became Apple Music and Spotify and Netflix and Amazon Prime and all that type of stuff. And then when I started researching about real estate uh, and going through the interview process, I started realizing here's another industry that had not changed a lot in about 100 years. The general mechanics are very similar. You know, if, uh, if we had a time machine went back to 1953, um, we would find the general mechanics are quite similar. You know, there's, uh, the, the binders are, are in the back of the car, not on the internet. But other than that, the general stuff is shockingly similar. And I think that uh, a major transformation was about to come. So I got excited about it and I sort of pitched that to the RevGV board saying, I think there's change coming. I think there's a chance for forward-thinking real estate boards to be real leaders in this and to help uh, uh, just go through this revolution that's about to happen and the rise of tech and tech players and all those types of things. You know, and I, I kind of see the role of the industry shifting rapidly. Um, we were talking uh, before the show started a little bit about the uh, how it could end up looking different. And the way I see it is there will be change challenges and there will be changes to how, how the whole industry operates. But I think it's important that uh, a big part of my job is ensuring that realtors are part of that journey. You know, they're not necessarily climbing the mountain, but they're the Sherpa helping the people climb the mountain to buy that house or sell that house or whatever the incident is. And I think the real estate boards and the provincial associations are well positioned to help with that. Historically, it's had a slightly different view, a bit more of a caretaker approach towards the industry. But I, I think it's time to be more proactive and innovative on these types of things. And that's what really appealed to me. I saw huge disruption and opportunity. And Trevor, it strikes me that very different paths. You've been in the industry in wearing almost every hat, it sounds like there is to, to wear. Why real estate for you? 
Yeah, it's it started uh, with a family connection. So I was living in Edmonton with uh, my wife and our new daughter. We were very isolated there. We didn't have any family. My wife was going to uh, University of Alberta, taking a, a second degree. And when Abby, our daughter, was just about one year old, we we really felt like it was we needed to get closer to family. My family, I grew up in New Brunswick, so it was either head out east or to Saskatchewan, where my wife's family was. And uh, her parents both were in real estate at the time. It uh, kind of, you know, I, I was in professional fundraising. I, w- I was a, a director at a hospital foundation prior to getting into the real estate mm. industry. And yeah, it just it, it was a natural transition with the move and kind of being closer. So it started with the license. But as soon as I got my license, I knew I was like, you, you needed to wait the two-year window to get your broker's to become a broker and and two almost two years to the day I owned a Century 21 franchise and that started me on the path. Yeah. Hmm, there's you know. there's so many things to get there's so many different directions to go in this industry I think and it's like it kind of touches everything. Yeah. So if you like design, if you like construction, sure. if you like, you know, Finance. money, if public, you like, public yeah, yeah. policy, yeah. economics, like yeah. it's just you can touch anything, right? Counseling. Exactly. We've been doing this show for eight years now. Um, Congratulations. And, yeah, no, that's you. awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank yeah, you. Good. It seems like every once in a while we talk or we'll have a, a tech company, a startup, somebody come on and mm. they'll talk about disrupting the real estate industry. And it seems like we've talked about it a lot, but there hasn't been that many changes over the course of the, the podcast. It sounds like we're in a moment where that that's changing potentially quite quickly. Like, why now? Maybe is a is a starting point. Who knows if it will? Yeah. Right. Like, I, I write articles in in uh, Rem Magazine in in Canada, and very often I always I tout myself as being as big a critic of this industry as I am a champion. I will always get behind this industry, but I think. It's important in leadership roles and thought leadership, especially to point out some of the, you know, the cracks in the foundation. And when I do that, very often the first comment that's posted on Rem Magazine online is that we've been, we've been hearing this for 30 years. Why now? Right. That there's going to be disruption, that there's going to be something significant is going to change. And it it might not. Mm -hmm. This industry is really, really profoundly good at protecting itself and and making sure that nothing changes and it's it's built within the structure it's uh, you know organized real estate especially with with the boards and the provincial associations and CREA across Canada and in the states very similar state associations MLSs and boards um, NAR it's really good at making sure that the status quo stays for the future and anybody that comes in a small tech startup that comes in and says we're going to disrupt it <laughs> that's a big challenge. Mm-hmm. Like, and and one, one that I would suggest has been unsuccessful so far. There's different ways, even, even the major players in the United States that people really talked about being disruptors. There's 1.6 million realtors, 3 million licensees in the US, more than ever before. How is that? Mm-hmm. Like it's changed, but has it disrupted? Has it truly fundamentally changed? And I would argue no. And who knows if it will? I think it will. But we'll get to that. That's a good segue. Um, so I do think it will. And uh, and I think there's a couple of reasons why it hasn't so far. I think some of the prop tech companies, uh, they have interesting nuggets. 
and different things that they have, but they're good products, but they're not businesses. So they're not really sustainable. And so uh, about a year ago, I spoke to a, a, a group of prop tech folks and uh, in the, in, before I got up on stage, they were all start giving me their pitches and stuff like that. Some of them, I had no idea what they're trying to tell me, right? It was so convoluted and all the rest of it. And so I always urge them to be thinking about an escalator pitch, mm-hmm. not an elevator pitch, not I've got seven minutes to talk you guys into what I'm doing. I, you got seven seconds. I'm going down the elevator. They're coming up or escalator, I should say. Uh, I'm going down and they're coming up. I've got a thing that's going to make conveyancing super easy and save the brokers 50% of their money. Well, I want to hear more about that and go back. When I issued that challenge, most of the, the prop tech folks that I've been speaking to have struggled with that. And I think part of it is because they're not really businesses, they're interesting little products, but they're not, they can't sustain four people or, or a, a, you know, a salesperson and a developer and a couple other folks without significant financial bank backing. So I think that's partly why there's been limited really process, uh, progress with a lot of these types of prop tech folks. Now, on the uh, industry uh, uh, not changing, uh, Trevor's quite right. It really hasn't changed a lot, as we said at the opening. But there's one thing that I have learned and I firmly believe is that the consumer is undefeated. And uh, speaking of Ram Magazine, uh, Trevor and I co-authored uh, an article basically around that theme uh, I'm trying to get some hits here for the article. And, uh, <laughs> and it, wasn't, yeah. it wasn't basically around that theme. That was the title of the Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah consumers exactly. undefeated. You're right, man. You're right. Yeah. Um, and, but essentially consumers, I've, and, and you know, businesses in general, but consumers really want to push out intermediaries. So stockbrokers and travel agents and all the rest of it have been pounded by essentially Web 2.0. You know, um, they, there's still roles for them, right? You know, you, you wouldn't run a giant pension fund off of Wealth Simple, or if you're organizing a, a giant conference with 100,000 attendees, you're not going to do it off of Expedia. I totally get that. But for more mundane, air quotes, mundane to sort of uh, transactional type stuff, uh, those the folks have been replaced. And people are using, you know, apps and, and different ways of tech, using technology to do it. And that's not really been possible up until fairly recently. Now, real estate has got a number of different barriers, I would argue, kind of moats to try to keep people out, both the regulatory environment and and, uh, some of the legal things. And even just because it's such a big dollar thing, people feel more comfortable. Well, the realtor says it's a good deal or the home appraiser says it's worth this much or the bank signed off or all that stuff. There's those. Those are important elements, but those can be largely amended, you know, maybe not replaced, but they could be amended by different ways of doing it. People doing their own research. You know, I've probably met 1,300, maybe 1,400 realtors since I took the job. The, the one thing I, I kind of know, so they, they're saying now more in the last you know, year or so that the, uh, their clients are showing up incredibly you know, well-armed with data. They know every comp. They know what's going on in the neighborhood. They're asking questions about commission lawsuits. They're doing all this type of stuff. I'm not talking about the 18-year-old who's renting an apartment, but people doing fin- serious financial things are asking questions that maybe wasn't done before or they didn't have access to the data. But now the data for the MLSs is out there and you can look for it and, and capture that. So I think that environment's starting to change. So the environment's more conducive to, towards it. I think there's a, you know, a, a tendency for the consumer to want to pull out intermediaries. They want to get right to the truth, right to the data, right to the information. And I think, frankly, it's gotten the attention because there's so much money involved. It's gotten to the attention of the big tech companies. And so, you know, fundamentally, there's, you know, a lot of people in the ecosystem. And you can make good money being a real estate lawyer and a home appraiser and a mortgage broker. But the big money is around basically the value of the land itself and the, the property 
the uh, the mortgages. It's not sexy, but there's trillions of dollars uh, involved in that. And the commissions and the, and the work around that type of allied pieces of it. And the big tech companies are taking a look and they're starting to lean in on those because they have incredibly powerful uh, balance sheets. It's actually to Trevor's point, some of these other companies show up, they've got four nickels and they're trying to do something that actually could be quite clever, but can't see it through. These other you know uh, modern tech players do have that type of financial horsepower and can be game changers and maybe hit all three of these areas, the mortgage and the commission and the uh, value of the home. You know, I think everyone saw with interest that the Jeff Bezos uh, back company, I think it's called Arrived, and he put uh, a couple hundred million dollars into it to start buying single family homes across the United States to sort of see how this goes. We've seen what's been going on with BlackRock and Blackstone buying homes of 117,000 or something last year. I do think there's a sea change starting to happen. And I think that uh, the industry would be wise to be looking eyes forward and have a long distance uh, view about what this could end up looking like. And just to piggyback on that, one of the first articles that I wrote started with, there is a future that exists without realtors. And and I still believe that. But what I don't believe is that there is a future where there's not a human being Mm. involved in the real estate transaction. And so Jeff and my job is to make sure that that human being, as things change, as the consumer expects changes, that that human being is still a realtor. And doesn't get replaced by, you know, some other model that, that might exist out there. The analogy that I always use is, is the moving sidewalk at the, at the airport. If you picture a long moving sidewalk and that sidewalk is the, the real estate transaction, young couple gets on the end of the moving sidewalk and the first person to jump on the moving sidewalk with them is a realtor. And as the, that sidewalk moves, you've got, you know, mortgage brokers and home inspectors and appraisers and lawyers and notaries all getting on the moving sidewalk, but getting off the moving sidewalk before the end as well. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the moving sidewalk, the last person standing with that couple is still the realtor. And I think that demonstrates that value that, that they're there from start to finish as the ecosystem exists today. Our job is to make sure that that continues to be the value that the realtor is bringing. And it's not just a URL, realtor.ca, or it's not just an MLS system. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see, and to, to Jeff's point earlier about data, BlackRock just bought the parent company of Paragon, the MLS system that RevGV and others use. They're not buying it because they want to get in the MLS game. They're buying it because it has a tremendous amount of value in the data. and. Right now, legislation is being drafted in Canada to bring in open banking into this country. And open banking won't fundamentally change the way that realtors do their job, but it does change the perception or it signals the perception of government that data has to be more accessible. The customer, the consumer needs to have more access to options and to be able to move more freely within an ecosystem, in this case, banking and finance. But that's going to start to break those barriers too. And we're going to start seeing RevGV, whose entire existence for 100 plus years has been built on protectionism of the data. They're going, somebody is going to come knocking, whether it's government or regulator, and say, you need to start sharing more. And then the Black Rocks of the world, who mm-hmm. have $8.5 trillion in asset management, are going to have a leg up on organized real estate. Right. <laughs> I, I agree wholeheartedly with Trevor's assertion. And I'm a big believer in industries, you either build moats or you build bridges. And if you build moats, you try to keep people away and all the rest of it. 
in my experience, moats only last so long. And then eventually someone who's better, better funded or high, different skill set or something, they find a way to build their own bridge. They come across the moat and it's not pretty. And so uh, a big part of what RevGB is looking to do is start building bridges with players, exactly what Trevor's mentioning, those types of people. Big tech, big finance, other different folks in our ecosystem, regulators. You know, the, the, the idea of combative relationships with different elements of the industry, I think, is, uh, you know, that's fighting the last war, if you ask me. And, uh, and I think the, the way to succeed, you know, we can't be thinking about what's the world look like in 2030. What's it look like in 2050? After we're kind of done with this. Is it strong and robust and has uh, sustainability? Well, stuff we're doing between now and 2030 will have a huge role in that. And I think it's by building bridges and, and that includes the data and that includes maybe looking at new models and new ways of doing things. While ensuring the value of the realtor. Right? Absolutely. Like, like if you go back, if you go back yeah. to, we're belaboring this, but I'll just say really quick, if you go back to the, the travel agent analogy, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, travel agents, we don't see as many of them, but there's still a pilot in the plane. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the realtor, right? The realtor isn't just giving the information and saying, good luck, go off, figure it out. They're the pilot in plane. And until that technology changes and we have confidence in moving 800 people at once without a pilot, then... Yeah, but so then, then what, because I think often, yeah, the, the gatekeeper to the, to the data, right? And MLS, but it sounds like what, what you're suggesting is there's a there's a the the value that a lot of realtors see them bringing to the table is is actually the value proposition almost entirely right is that is there an education component like what does that look like is it just like in experienced people that are very good at their job kind of win out and the rest disappear or is there yeah what is what does this actually look like so just to be clear it's not taking away the value of the data from the realtor it's empowering the realtor with that data to do more and what what is becoming expected of the consumer. So that's the job of RevGV is to go out and figure out how do we work with these other major players. It's not saying the data is not of value, so it's not a focal point. It, it's, it continues to be the focal point. And I think, I think realtors will, will just find other ways that they bring value when that data becomes more accessible and, and of greater value to the whole ecosystem and right. ultimately to the consumer. Yeah, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think how it gets interpretive, like artificial intelligence is a good example of this, right? Like AI will, will not replace realtors, mm-hmm. but a, a realtor using AI will outperform a realtor who's not. You know, it, uh, to me, it's kind of like, you know, old day type thing. But in the 80s, you know, bookkeeping was done basically by men, sadly, with the uh, green shields and writing them out on the literal green sheets and, and you wanted eye, human eyeballs looking at it. Then all of a sudden Lotus 1, 2, 3 and Excel came and all the rest of it. Didn't mean the end of accountants, didn't mean the end of bookkeepers, it meant, but it meant the ones using those types of tools outperformed the other ones and eventually overwhelmed them. And I think you, know, you look at AI and the data and the, the relationship thing that you're just alluding to, I think the, the real thing is around the realtor value prop. And uh, it's knowledge around the industry. To me, it's kind of sounds simple, but it's head and heart. Are they smart? They know the industry. They know the market, what's going on. And at heart, are they willing to work hard and and, uh, not just fight for their client, but give sound guidance and and, and how to navigate through these types of things? That's kind of the secret sauce and how to do it, in my mind. And that's happened in in a lot of industries uh, that have gone through technological disruption. And I, I think to your point in the question, I, I think the education 
is not around necessarily realtors understanding more how to use the data, but better understanding what the value proposition is for the industry as a whole, if they understand the importance of it and how changes like as Jeff and I start to try to influence some of the things that we've done that are such established kind of practices in the industry. As we start to influence that change, we need realtors to understand we're doing this because of a longer term play. We're doing this so that we continue to provide value in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and an example of that is is the 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 and I hate the term because I think it's not current, but the forms. The realtors use forms all through one platform, typically provided by uh, CREA. And we, uh, BCREA owns those forms, make sure they're up to date. Anytime there's a regulatory change, we make those changes and all of that is, is, but it's all through PDF. And PDF is very quickly becoming the facts of, you know, yesteryear. And unless we change the platform and the way that realtors are interacting with the, the legal side of the transaction, then we're not going to capture that data. We still don't capture any of the data that, that happens within the ecosystem of transactions. And that, that becomes extremely valuable. Hmm. But that value proposition is only there if we get realtors to understand, educate them on why we would want to do this. Why do we need you to interact digitally with forms rather than, in some cases, still printing them out and putting pen to paper? Right. Yeah, that value gets lost. Can we talk a little bit about like the open banking? How does that tie in? So the actual legislation around open banking won't affect realtors or or even the conversations that they have. And, and just for people out there that are unclear yeah. on that, is that can you just talk a little bit about what that actually is? Yeah, it's it's basically the ability for financial institutions to access client information if the client wishes, right? So so it creates an ecosystem where the client, the consumer, the customer has more control over their information, but it becomes more readily accessible within the ecosystem of the financial world. So right now, if if I uh, have accounts with X bank and I want to move to Y bank, it's a whole process to basically start over. You're going in and doing an application and go, going through all of the approvals and they got to check your credit. And this just makes it more accessible that Y bank says to X bank, send me this client's information and mm-hmm. it comes over. So it's all done within the protection of data, within consumer protection, within like, and that's where legislation and regulation comes in. And, but it's done so that the consumer can start to drive some of those conversations. So to your question, I don't think that's going to fundamentally change any of the way that a realtor interacts with consumers. But I think it signals to all of Canada, every business owner, every entrepreneur, everybody who has any type of an environment where they have access to data or collect data or information or whatever, that this government is starting to be open to the idea that data needs to move more freely right. at the will of the of the consumer. Makes sense. Yeah. So, so there seems like there's, you know, we're on the brink of potentially some changes. Can we talk a little bit about the larger North American context, things that are happening right now that suggest that change is coming? You know, I'm thinking specifically... I don't know what he's talking about. Do you know what he's talking about? Well, this has been a great show. (laughs) There was a a lawsuit. I think there was a lawsuit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) A couple of them. Well, yeah, I guess. Uh, 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 There's a couple of things. Uh, So on the legal front, uh, definitely. There was a... uh, uh, Essentially, I'm, I'm really simplifying it, but a, a buyer's commission 
uh, litigation in Missouri uh, that was concluded or uh, had a, um, a decision in uh, October, I think it was, give or take a bit. We've been told it's being uh, going to be appealed, but it's sprung a number of copycat lawsuits. And just exactly to Trevor's point at the, the, the top of the show, you know, it's bringing it into the zeitgeist. It's getting it into the, the public's mind about to talk about these things and have discussions around it. But I do think that'll be an important feature. And there's a sim- the Canadian competition law is much different than the American one. The Canadian one's built off the Canadian Competition Act, uh, obviously. The U.S. one's based around the Sherman Antitrust Act. It has a different philosophy and a much lower proof uh, uh, barrier uh, in the United States. You, you don't have to prove a cartel. You don't have to prove anything. You just have to, you know, public's trust has been eroded. Uh, Canada, uh, there's uh, uh, the standards higher. And the Canadian uh, industry's done a very good job to ensure that there's competitive nature to it and that there's no unfair advantage and there's openness and, uh, and uh, there's disclosure around different things like that. So we'll... But I think that will be a feature in the coming months and years around discussions. And and, and sorry, not to yeah. to cut you off, but just for people who haven't heard of this, like what was the issue? What was what was the challenge against buyers agent commission? And for those listening who, who mm-hmm. don't know how buyers agents are usually paid, I guess if you can just yeah. break it down for okay. people. So uh, the uh, essentially uh, when the, the the transaction happens, there's a, a commission payable. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of variables and it's always up for negotiation. But uh, essentially, the commission would be split between the buyer's agent and the seller's agent. The litigation was uh, in Basin, Missouri, the Sitzer one. The fu- uh, fundamentals of it was that the, uh, uh, the person selling the house was of the view, why am I paying towards someone uh, to negotiate against me? This does not seem to be in my best interest and I shouldn't have to pay for it. The buyer should have to pay for it out of their own pocket. The jury agreed. It was a jury trial in the, that one. The appeal process is still underway. Um, my understanding is that the appeal will be that the buyer is actually the one paying the money and uh, executing the, the uh, transaction. That's my thought. And uh, uh, yeah, you know, and I, uh, so, uh, you know, I think there's, uh, I'm not a lawyer and, uh, you know, but I, but I think there's a legal argument to be made there that there, are, that there is some basis to that, uh, well, that makes sense. There's greatly oversimplifying, but I think that's generally the crux of it. You know, there's a similar lawsuit uh, going on in Ontario well, under the name of Sunderland. And then there's other litigations around different a- elements around access to data, just like we were just chatting about. And I think those will be features around, you know, the, the data, the commissions. And I think the other part will be around the financing. Open banking is a big part of it. I think neo banking, which is essentially large tech companies financing mortgages and, and other elements, that will be a f- feature of the real estate world fairly soon. You know, and uh, uh, and I think that will be a factor that I think realtors will be smart to pay attention to. Well, when you say neo banking, so first thing that comes to mind is maybe something like Apple Pay, or mm-hmm. is that like? Can you talk about what 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 is neo banking? Not to sidetrack too far. But... No, no, yeah, no, the uh, so I'll go first. Uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, so uh, in Canada, and the United States, you know, banking and financial services are generally heavily regulated, as they should be, right? You know, just, you know, public trust and all that type of stuff. Uh, Apple Pay and uh, some of the other big tech companies have realized that they have an ecosystem, as I motion towards my phone here, uh, they have an ecosystem of 700 million people globally that they want to sort of tap into. So Apple's probably been the most forward thinking on this front. And they've been working with Goldman Sachs in the United States. So there's an Apple credit card and it's it's branded uh, Goldman's, but it's Apple's money. And they're starting to do car loans in certain areas. They're doing uh, consumer debt uh, products, different things like that. Uh, we have a pretty good authority. They're talking in other jurisdictions, including Europe and Canada, 
about doing th- similar things. And mortgages are on the table as things to, to talk about and to discuss. Now, why would we care about this? Well, uh, it ends up being a new force, a new uh, element inside the ecosystem. And it's, uh, you know, frankly, you know, Amazon, the, the FANG companies, you know, uh, generally, uh, you know, Facebook, uh, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google generally have uh, stronger balance sheets than almost any of the banks. I'm not just talking Canadian banks, even the giant U.S. ones. And so that could change uh, who uh, manages what when. And it could end up changing how the ecosystem evolves and how people secure mortgages and how, uh, how all that operates. We know Amazon's been quite interested in disrupting a variety of different industries. You know, about a year ago, they announced that uh, they were going to have, uh, you know, what Canadians would call telehealth uh, available for prime customers that sign up for it. Uh, they've got a different name for it. I think it's called you know, Health Service Now or something like that. Uh, and you can get uh, generic drugs for almost at cost. And it's been incredibly successful. And you can ask Walgreens or uh, CVS executives and shareholders how formidable a competitor Amazon is. And then last week, uh, coincidentally, uh, right around U.S. Thanksgiving again, they announced that they had uh, Amazon has this partnership with Hyundai and Kia around selling Hyundai and Kia cars directly from the Amazon website. United States only at this time. Uh, there's very strict uh, dealership laws in uh, all 50 of the U.S. states, but they're working their way around that. I've got to think deep down in my recesses of my brain that they're also looking at real estate. Are there ways they can disrupt this and, and make it differently? And I combine that with neobanking and the idea that maybe the loan and a chance to look at a listing and other features, insurance and, and title insurance and different things like that, could well be major forces uh, in our ecosystem uh, in the relatively near future, before the end of the decade type thing. Like a one-stop shop, essentially. Yeah. And then all of a sudden... You know, your relationship's not with, you know, a Canadian bank or a, a tier one bank or a credit union or whatever. Your relationship's with Apple and uh, or with Amazon or whoever it is. And uh, and the nature of how the transaction gets done can end up looking a bit different. You know, people resent going to car dealerships. They, there's some people who relish it and they love the idea of going back and forth with the dealer yeah. and all that stuff. But the vast majority of people hate it. You know, and when you look at all the testing around like what's uh, with the Tesla model, uh, the sales model where you basically buy it online and you can go look at it at a store, but that's it. That's been almost universally loved because people feel like it's mm-hmm. the price is the price and I'm not doing all this battle back and forth and baloney. Um, uh, real estate is different, more complex, but just as impactful to people, right? And so there will be people involved in it. I agree with Trevor 100%, but I think the nature of it can end up looking different than what we're used to. And that's where I see neobanking, some of the technology things that we were just chatting about, and open banking all being part of that ecosystem. Because if you're a neobanker and you have open banking, you have access to all that data. Oh, and guess what? I'm already an Apple customer and I'm everything. They know everything about me already. They know I'm in this podcast right now, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, they maybe don't know what I'm doing here, but they know where I am geographically. That's a huge level of insight that RBC or BMO or whatever doesn't have on me. I mean, what we see with an outside player coming into the industry. Within the realm of real estate, if you go to a tech conference that is kind of hosted by one of the legacy organizations or or within within kind of the ecosystem of, of what we know to be to be the real estate industry right now, um, every player, every quote-unquote bigger, and, and Jeff likes to say the tallest kid in grade two, like, like <laughs> all, all of these players are, are only, are, are, are not that, 
big on on in the big scheme of things. But the players within that context are all getting up on stage and saying the exact same thing. We want to build an end-to-end opportunity within the continuum of a real estate transaction so that the consumer can navigate seamlessly and and all of the services, all of the the things that bring a real estate transaction together are all in one one place Mm -hmm. for the consumer. That is beautiful in theory. But and when you talk when you talk about technology, blockchain, uh, you know, uh, trying to tokenize some of these some of the aspects of the transaction, all of that is completely possible, but not in the context of the legacy structure where everybody is saying, "I want this to happen as long as I'm leading it, as long as we're the innovators, as long as we own the technology or we own the intellectual property." What it takes is an outside player to come in who doesn't have any of that legacy. The mm-hmm. banks are are forever challenged by innovators' dilemma, right? Like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. how much do you put into what you're currently doing while still innovating and trying to be leading edge? And they're they're stuck within this legacy environment that they that they have built over hundreds of years. So it takes an Amazon to come in and go. We don't have anybody that we need to appease on this. We can go in and do our own thing. We can bring all the data together. We build an end-to-end transaction. And so that's where going back to what we were saying earlier is if that's going to happen, where does the realtor play mm-hmm. a role? How do we make sure that the realtor plays a role? And, and what does that look like? Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out. Starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually. In those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join typing in VRP 2020. Because one thing that strikes me with the, was it the escalator or the the moving path in the airport mm-hmm. analogy from earlier 
is the realtor gets on with the client first, everybody else gets on and off, and then the last person is the realtor and the client. But in this case, it's not the realtor, it's Amazon or, or Apple, Apple or whoever, yeah. or whoever that yeah. is basically essentially taking that role over. But the one thing that... To but, an extent. Yeah. Right? Like, like it's not to say, and, and we need to be really careful because when we go back to what we were saying earlier that, you know, there hasn't been any evolution that basically we took the catalogs and put them online. Like I, I agree with all of that. I've written about it. I've right. used those, that terminology in some of my articles, but the role of the realtor has really changed. Like, let's be honest. Like, like when's the last time a realtor said to their clients, I'll pick you up and we'll drive around and do the tour of listings. And I've got a really nice vehicle that I cleaned this weekend because part of my role is to drive you around. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that, those types of things have evolved. The way that you interact with clients. When I, the very first day that I started at, at a Remax brokerage in 2005, I was still handed all of the changes to the, to the information on sheets that I was required to go and change in the binder that they handed me with all of the current listings. Like that was, that was only 2005. Right. Things have <laughs> fundamentally changed. The way that, that realtors do their job has fundamentally changed the whole ecosystem still has some evolution and some disruption to happen to it. But I think there's, there's, conti- there's going to continue to be a role for the realtor and for a human being. Because mm-hmm. just thinking out loud here, and again, I feel like some of the things, uh, I'm not much on big on tech, and I probably somebody out there will listen and say, oh my God, like... <laughs> Get somebody else. Get, get, get might, somebody else on we, there. We might leave here and talk about it. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <You don't know. laughs> but like one thing that strikes me always is if you meet, say, a new uh, buyer, and they've said, "Oh, I've, don't worry, I've already walked into a big bank, and I already have somebody helping me with that." Like immediately, you're like, "Oh, this okay." So you're not working with somebody who's you're probably not working with somebody who's good. You're working with a 23 year old. They've never bought a property. They started last week. They may be not in Vancouver and not understand the dynamics of this market. There seems like at every stage, including the negotiation, which I guess Tesla, the implication there is that's kind of taken out of the the transaction. But at every stage, there's there is tons of benefit to working with good people, which I feel like is part You're of... You're kind of describing like the order takers versus the coaches almost, right? In, in right. the various But capacities. if you go, so if you like, hypothetically log into your Apple account and they say, hey, you're working with Jenny now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, can she help me in this market specifically? How, how does that... I And I know I'm not... This isn't... You guys aren't designing it. So it's not like, hey, how does this work? But it does strike me that, you know, part of the... A positive ex- experience can get uh, destroyed there. Well, the uh, when you take a look at it, uh, it could well emerge like that though. Right. Not that, oh, well, here's Jenny and she'll talk to you. But you look at what happened, like early uh, Google searches was just sort of the Wild West. And then eventually it became, you know, the auctioned off and how you, how, you know, the, you know, the yeah, companies would make sure that they got put into there. Mm-hmm. And it could be a case of like, oh, you're in this ecosystem now. Just thinking out loud, just four guys talking, but um, you're in this ecosystem now. And hundreds and, of thousands of people listening. Yes. <laughs> uh, so from what I hear. Well, at least hundreds. Yeah. yeah. Millions, millions. <laughs> millions, yeah, yeah. And my kids. Yeah. And then, um, uh, but uh, that you get in the ecosystem, there could be different ways to how you pick and choose someone to work with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the, uh, the things that's uh, being used in Europe a little bit is around, you know, they call it anecdotally almost like a dad on demand or uncle on demand. And the idea is you have someone goes with you to look at houses that's been around the block. They can look at the plumbing and go, 
You know, it's, it's like everybody's favorite father-in-law type thing, right? <laughs> Every realtor's worst nightmare. I don't want to be a part of any of that. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Oh, God. But, uh, <laughs> Who'd you bring to the inspection? In transaction. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but the, the realtor can end up being that person, right? And then, and then so people feel like, you know what? I feel better because, you know, Trevor came with me to look at this. And he said, you know what? That looks a little odd. Or we can negotiate around these points here because it's being underrepresented, I think. And different elements like that. And I think those are the types of things where... Yeah, it won't be you phone in, here's Jenny answering the, ty- the types mm-hmm. of questions, but it could be that you're connected with a realtor and then the realtors help you navigate that. And then we'll move away even around the, the documentation stuff. Like, you know, we've, I think we've all talked to people who have expressed frustration around the flow of documents. You know, I, I send emails to a Gmail account. I don't know really where it's going. You know, all those types of things. The, those are problematic. It makes the whole industry look unprofessional. I think a lot of those things can be sort of tightened up. And, and pull together in a more open, transparent type of way. And the tech companies have that down to a fine art. You know, they're actually mm-hmm. shockingly good at that. You know, it's easy to make fun of them and all the rest of it. But when you look at the experience and dealing with moving around different things, including assets, they're shockingly good at, you know, if you want a, an app or a movie or you want something delivered to your house on Black Friday. You know, I, I always say, I swear, if we ever go to war with Neptune, I want Amazon handling the logistics for planet Earth to fight these guys. Because uh, it's unbelievable how sophisticated they've gotten. Mm-hmm. I know they're using AI and they've got 25 years experience, but it's amazing. And I think they'll turn that type of thing loose on it. Doesn't mean that there's not a guy driving a truck or someone loading a box and all those types of things. But we want to make sure that the, there's a human role, but the human role, the realtor, has incredible value and people are comfortable paying for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, we will end up there. We have to. But I think that's going to be an important part of the messaging. But and, and I think I think too just the fact that you know it's it's us trying to scheme up what the solution is going to be is already part of the challenge. Mm-hmm. It's not for the industry to decide. It's for the industry to best serve the client, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. that's what's been lost a lot of the time. Is you get leadership in a room and it's like, okay, how are we going to build this? And the first thing is while still protecting what we have, mm-hmm. right? While still protecting the value of the realtor, while still protecting whatever it is, the data, whatever it is that we currently have. The consumer doesn't care. Like if the consumer finds it best that they call and they get Jenny and they don't care where she sure. is, then it doesn't matter what we build. Mm-hmm. If it's not appeasing and appealing to the consumer, then, then we've already mm-hmm. gone down the wrong road. We have to figure out what is the consumer, what is driving their need, what is what is really the fundamental piece that they need in order to provide value in the transaction as they go through that. And I think I think we know, right? I think for the most part, realtors, if you sat down a thousand realtors or 160,000 across Canada and said, what is the value you bring? You'd get some pretty consistent answers mm-hmm. across the board. The same has to go for the consumer. Right. If you ask 160,000 consumers across the country, what is the value that a realtor brings? We need to be able to deliver on that, no matter what the changes are in the environment. Yeah, I find it in, uh, quite telling. That's a great summary, actually, Trevor. But I find it quite telling when you look at our studies around the role of the realtor and how they're perceived. It's frankly kind of like lawyers. People love their own realtor, but don't really like the other person and all, or don't see the value in the other one or they're quick to criticize. But their own one, boy, he or she or them really helped me out through this negotiation and through this thing. They see huge value there. And uh, the value proposition and the, the acceptance of it 
goes into the 80% plus range, when people use a realtor, they're four times out of five are really happy with the result and, and the whole process around it. Here's an unpopular opinion. Realtors, take. realtors think the same thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I, I don't need any education or any additional professional standards or mm. any. I, I know what's going on, but it everybody else does. Sure. Right. Yeah. And I think I think until that mentality changes a little bit, and everybody that ego kind of gets checked in the industry, and we all realize there's a lot more we can do collectively, then it's it's going to continue to be a challenge. Well, we were talking before we before we went live about moats in the industry mm. and. Going down to like, you know, if you cross the bridge, somebody's like, what are you doing? What are you doing on my side? Oh, right. uh, yeah, yeah. Like, like literally, it's like the whole industry somehow has, it's, uh, and I guess there's a lot of money at stake and maybe that's the logic, but it's interesting to think, presumably that's been part of the culture for a hundred years and, right. and how to change that. Here's the thing. It, 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 Jeff said he's met 12, 1300 realtors since, since he started in his role. I couldn't even tell you how many thousands I've met over the, over the 20 years, especially in a regulatory role internationally. But every single realtor that I have ever met has been a human being. And they have human characteristics and human qualities. And sometimes that's greed. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's ego. And sometimes that's pride. Very often, it's also caring and want to contribute to their community and very, very wholesome, good people. But all of those characteristics come into play. And so we shouldn't be surprised when, as an industry, we start to act the way that human beings would act. Mm -hmm. And so that's our role, is to go out and try to be convincing to people to say, the words I use is leading a proactive industry. We've always been reactive. We've always waited for something to happen. And then we stomp our feet and, and pound our fists and say, it's not fair when everybody saw it coming on the horizon. And that's why we're having these conversations about mm-hmm. what's coming on the horizon. What can we do as an industry to step up? Keeping in mind that everybody is a human being that we're going to be talking to. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think that's a really good example. We've talked a little bit about the tech and the changes in the financial stuff. The professionalism elements, you know, uh, Trevor's right. They're pe- people are people, right? One of the things that ma- a major pillar in our new strategic plan is around upping professionalism in the industry. And it's everything from the barriers to entry, you know, and, uh, and expertise and keeping people up to date. Uh, exactly to your example, someone who's maybe brand new, doesn't really know, doesn't have the experience. We want to make sure that they're capable of handling the transaction and, and the way that the industry come across a professional. It even includes, frankly, common courtesy. You know, one of the things that kind of made me, my eyes pop out were the number of complaints I was dealing with where realtors couldn't get other realtors to call them back. You know, I came from a world where if someone thought they were owed a dollar off of a YouTube spin or whatever, they'd be hunting me down on Friday afternoon, maybe not literally, but figuratively. And I'm not talking some 18-year-old who's in his basement doing videos. It would be Sony and Warner and you know, Universal and all that stuff. They, that was their job, to, to, to shake the cushions and make sure they got all the money. And then when I got here and I started hearing, oh, I'm trying to sell a $6 million house. I got buyers, but the guy won't call me back. <laughs> what the? What? You know, <laughs> right? It's very bizarre, fellas. And, and then, uh, <laughs> so I think there's some professionalism elements that we can work on that. And you know, I, I, you know, maybe I'm part of the Mutual Admiration Society, but Trevor's got a great line around, you know, we're not self-regulated. Uh, we're regulated by a, a provincial regulator, but we should act like we're self-regulated. And we should and and have uh, standards of how we handle these things, mm-hmm. and and if the people don't live by the standards, you're out. 
Like uh, if you're doing something criminal or something that's against the public good, uh, money laundering, different things like that. See ya. You're you're not in the club anymore. We gotta we have to be more forceful about that and and find different ways to uh, really up the ante so that you know. And our members agree. You know, we've surveyed them to death for 25 years, and they keep saying, "Get rid of the bad apples." Mm-hmm. And we, we we're going to do that. Everybody else is the problem, but not me. Exactly. But but I I think to the to that point too. Part of the proactive aspect of of professionalism is seeing what's coming and figuring out as an industry how can we be proactive rather than waiting for it to get here. And the commission disputes is a good is a good example. Everybody knows that's out there, and whether there whether it is decided in favor of the industry or in favor of the the plaintiffs. Regardless, the consumer has a new line of sight into how the sandbox works mm-hmm. and and how you know what their role is in in kind of uh, the commission conversation and and the ecosystem that we've built. So what we're looking at at BCREA, and we're just doing a lot of uh, research around it now, but it is going to be something that we engage the industry on is mandatory buyer agency contracts. So. So can we, and and whether it's us or we work with the regulator, can we, what would it look like for us to bring into the industry a, a mandatory relationship between buyer agent and buyer so that there is an understanding and, and though they exist now. There's a voluntary exclusive mm-hmm. buyer agency contract. You can go out and, and go through that with you. And some people do. Some people only use it exclusively, especially buyer agents. But what would it look like to make it mandatory? What would it look like to make mandatory that conversation with every buyer as they start to navigate the real estate conversation. But it's such an interesting thing, right? Because in my, in, in a lot of ways, and the people, buyers, agents who use those, it, it's, it benefits them, right? You've established a, that relationship. A, a, and an agreement yeah. that, hey, we're working together. You're not going out next weekend and meeting Jim and suddenly it's like, oh, I lost, my client is gone. And, and a lot of the, I guess this goes to, the next question I had, because a lot of the, you know, we have, and it, we're not self-regulated, but there's more and more documentation and regulation. And I just had a conversation with somebody who, a client who was talking to somebody else in the building with a larger unit. She said, can you represent me? They don't want to work with an agent. I was like, I, I can't go near that. Like, that's you, like, I'm dead in the water if something goes wrong there. But there's so like, what is the role I guess thinking about disruption and everything else, what is the role of government in your mind and regulation in terms of keeping things kind of static in a lot of ways because it there's so many government regulatory obstacles? Yeah, I, I think the regulator has an important role. Al, and I think the uh, industry, um, uh, the uh, sort of organized part of organized real estate, so what uh, Trevor and I do and our, and our colleagues, um, we should have a working relationship with the regulator to help facilitate uh, the smooth running of an efficient exchange of, of uh, you know, property title and funds and all those types of things. Um, the, I don't think the regulator is someone that we should be afraid of or uh, litigants with. I think we should be trying to work towards the betterment of it. And we've been working very hard. Uh, actually, the two of us have been working very hard about building a strong, very professional relationship with uh, BCFSA, who's a regulator for real estate in uh, British Columbia. But I think the regulator's got a duty to the public. And they've got people to answer to as well, including like the four of us as voters and all the rest of it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think there's, we want to ensure that the ecosystem has uh, enough faith and, and comfort in it and that there's enough checks and balances. And this industry was self-regulated for a long time and then all of a sudden it wasn't. And I think that uh, the regulator has a role to play here. 
And, uh, uh, you know, one of the things we want to make sure is that the encroachment's not over the top. We want to make sure there's a balance approach to it, like all things. But, uh, but I think there's a, a chord that could be struck. And uh, we're enjoying the working relationship. Uh, they're striking, uh, striking us as being very open-minded and trying to move forward on, uh, on handling all these ty- very difficult issues. One thing that society is really good at right now, uh, two things, I guess. One, one is always thinking that we're so unique. Uh, whether it's individually or, or as an organization or as a country or whatever it is, that, that we're unique compared to everybody else. And then the other piece is we're really good at living in our own little bubbles, right? Eight mm. billion people on this planet that are all, you know, navigating the the construct of of whatever it is that we've made up around us. Like every like we we talk about organized real estate and, and the boards and kind of the geography and all of the 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 rules and everything that we've it's all made up. Like we've literally made it all mm-hmm. up over a hundred years. And now when we want to dissolve a border between boards, it's like like, you know, the the worst thing in mm-hmm. the world because at some point somebody thought that that was a good place to to put it. But the environment around, I lost my train of thought. I went down, <laughs> I went down the border avenue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, but I, I do think, I, think, I don't know where you're going if, if you're ready to restart, but I think you had a nugget there around the, the regulator. You know, we've, this is all kind of fake and just sort of imagined, just like words are made up. Like I, I always love when someone says, oh, that's a made up name. Every name's made up, right? <laughs> Doesn't matter if it's Jeff, it's a made up name, right? You know, but, uh, uh, but the alternative like if everything was just like Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace and you're buying and selling houses with no rules, no protection, no CDIC, someone could just take your 100 grand deposit and disappear and steal your identity while they're right. at it. We wouldn't like that either. But right? is there, I guess, the one thing where I was getting at with the the regulator, if this is even, I haven't thought this far ahead to think if this is even possible, but so the Apple, the Amazon, the tech companies that are, Really well capitalized, obviously. Right. And also super nimble. Like, is there actually a world in which organized real estate doesn't exist or make sense? Right. I guess that's like the end game. I, I mean, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I think any, any future state is, is possible to, for, for the whole ecosystem to evolve into. I think the, the, regulatory environment that we have now, what what I was going to say is it's not unique to our industry. And right. It's not unique to BC. Like, like we definitely feel like we're being inundated with new rules, right. and new regulations. And every, t- every time you turn around, something's changing. But that's not unique to the real estate industry. And it's certainly not unique to, to British Columbia. Regulatory environments are getting more and more structured and strict around the world. Like, right. like it's just it's just the world we live in. Governments are finding that they need to have more stringent rules around around, and especially uh, I don't know what the what the reason would be necessarily, but just the the, the speed of change probably is, mm-hmm. is like everybody's trying to stay in front of it. So, to your point, I guess us saving grace could be that anybody that comes into the ecosystem is still working within the same parameters of of regulation. And to to Jeff's comment earlier about the the uh, Amazon going into the auto industry and auto sales, they still have parameters around some of that that they've got to navigate. And so what Jeff was saying, we're working really closely with the regulator. It, it, there there was an environment not too long ago that every time the regulator opened their mouth, it, you had to look for a torch or a pitchfork and, and go, go after them. It didn't matter what they said. Like, yeah. that, was, that was the rule. Like yeah. That was our role. 
and uh, and we've completely flipped <laughs> that. We do so not true, we man. do not go after like like we are appreciative of their role. They understand our role. How do we navigate that forward? And it doesn't mean that we're going to agree with everything that they do, and vice versa. But we need to be able to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to just one thing because you're talking about the speed of change and the new regulations coming in. Jeff, earlier you you suggested that this change is going to happen a lot quicker. Like there seems to be a sentiment, at least amongst other agents and conversations in the industry and conversations we've had on the show, where this is like, you know, 10 years down the road, right? These disruptions take a long time, but I don't get that sense from you. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it is 10 years down the road. Uh, it's not tomorrow afternoon and it's probably not 2024. But I think it's much more imminent than maybe your other guests have hinted at. Uh, on the regulator front, uh, uh, Trevor's spot on right uh, that it, it's ramping up globally on every angle, like securities exchanges, all the rest of it. But the nuance, uh, one of the nuances that's kind of unique with real estate is all the different levels of government that are involved. So it's not just the Department of Justice or the Finance Ministry in Ottawa or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got municipal, First Nations, provincial, mm-hmm. uh, and federal. And then in some cases, you have international bodies around like transferring funds from other countries, stuff like that. Uh, that adds a whole bunch of different angles and they all move at different paces and have different levels of flexibility. But when I look at it and uh, uh, the, uh, I, I do subscribe to the innovator's dilemma thing, I see this disruption coming at a fairly quick clip. You know? And there's a, a two or three good sort of thought experiments around how to handle it. One is, how would we compete with ourselves? Oh, I would do X, Y, and Z. And that would turn things up. You know, how fast could we do that? Or if uh, if Trevor was CEO of Amazon, what would he do? That type of thing. Uh, then all of a sudden you start realizing, oh, this could be turned around a lot faster than people think and get ahead of the regulation. You know, that's kind of what happened like with a lot of the early dot-com stuff, you know, um, like 20 years ago I'm talking about. That was ahead of the regulation, ahead of the business models. And it took five to seven years for the movie and uh, music studios to catch up and kind of figure it out. But at the time, it felt like the end of the world. I remember giving uh, talks in, in front of large audiences, basically saying, we're the, you know, the pen stroke of one judge who doesn't understand technology away from losing all this. Or some judge says, this is not a public performance or something. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, $11 billion of annual revenues flushed down away. Um, there's some similarities to what's going on with, uh, with real estate. And the regulators are trying to go as fast as possible. We're lucky in BC that we have a regulator that's trying to be very proactive. But even at that, they've got a narrow window on what's going on. And 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 resource limitations. Of course, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. As we all do. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I wish I could sort of say, you know, by August 1st, 2025, the world will look different. No, but I know it will look different and probably sooner than we think, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, if you look at every industry um, and, uh, and the ones that, you know, Darwin, uh, people always quote Darwin and they say, well, the biggest survive and all that type of stuff. He never said that. So the ones that adapt survive, right? And then when you look at the different industries, I always love the parallel between Nintendo and Kodak. You know, they both started in the late 19th century. Nintendo's shockingly old, uh, 1889. Uh, Kodak. That's surprising. Yeah, yeah, yep. Here we go. We can tell by the look. You said you said 1989, right? Yeah, yeah. No, 1889. They started off doing playing cards. And, uh, and then eventually, the, you know, they, they thought they could have a moat and everybody was making playing cards. Then they started making board games and then they got into love hotels, which are exactly what you think they are. <laughs> um, and then uh, they got into, uh, in the 1930s, they did an Uber before Uber was even thought of, 
where you know people could just message to a message center saying, send a private car, come pick me up, take me someplace. Sort of a bespoke taxi. But it was called the, the, the Nintendo car. And, and um, they kept adapting, kept going. And then eventually, obviously, in the 70s, started getting the gaming consoles and all those types of things. Kodak became uh, synonymous, like Kodak Moment, still referenced now, you know, 100 years later. But uh, they became synonymous with uh, photography. You know, the number one film seller in the world sold them more cameras. Uh, they had over 50% of the market for, you know, half of their life. In 1976, a Kodak engineer invented the digital camera, presented it to the uh, senior leadership team and the board of directors said, I've got this thing. If you, you can Google it, I tell the listeners, feel free to Google it. It's big and huge and ugly. And he said, this thing's going to revolutionize it. It was horrible quality, but he said, I think this is the future. They said, well, this will destroy our film cells. Forget it. So they locked it away. And then next thing you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's a blip of an eye. And then now people are shooting videos and 4K on phones mm-hmm. and all that type of stuff. And Kodak doesn't exist other than to license a few things and to pay a pension. They went bust in 2012. They went bankrupt. Uh, they didn't adapt. And they tried to build a moat and just try to keep everybody away. It, it, it's, it is kind of cliched, but you know things never change until everything changes. Well, and, and, and to that, that's a great point because I think we feel like all of this stuff happens overnight, right? Like we, yeah. we even even Netflix and Blockbuster, yeah. like like it seems like that happened in a in a blink of an eye, but that, it happens over time. It happens with the evolution of one and the and the, mm-hmm. the, the yeah. non evolution of another. Yeah. And so for the folks that are saying you know twenty years for for new change, that's assuming that the change is happening today, but the change has been happening. For 30 years, maybe, maybe not quite, but certainly the last 10 to 15 years mm-hmm. as technology has, has amped up, as, as the consumer starts to have access to different things, as regulators have had to start to change their game. All of these things are kind of coming into a point where we're not 20 years away. Like it is on our doorstep. And that's where the proactive aspect of what mm-hmm. we do as an industry has to start to play a part. I agree wholeheartedly. I, you know, I, I always say, you know, turkeys don't vote for Christmas, right? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, fundamentally... People, I got to start writing these down. <laughs> yeah. I got this is the Jeffism. music industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I got a million of them. Anyways, uh, yeah. but, you know, but people won't do things that they perceive to be not in their best interest. But the reality is we have to be more proactive as an industry to sort of start uh, evolving this. And then you layer on top of all this. Like we're just talking about the mechanics of the industry. Like yeah. we just spent, I don't know how long talking about the mechanics industry, layer on top of this, a relatively small geographic region with a few million people living here. We've got uh, mountains on one side, ocean on the other, the world's biggest army to the south. There's not a lot of direction where to go. There's about 450,000 people coming to Canada every year. About 100,000 come to the lower mainland. About 300,000 go to the Golden Horseshoe in Ontario. They've got to live somewhere. They don't buy $6 million homes. I get that. But they're, they're doing different things and putting more pressure on them. We have NIMBYism. We have some municipalities are struggling with the pace of it, uh, of the immigration and all these other pressures. So they're going, they're slow walking approval processes. They're not, not on purpose. They're not trying to do it. They're resource constrained. They haven't thought through their own city planning maybe sufficiently enough. And so when you start hearing about the costs, like, you know, the several hundred thousand dollars sometimes for a, a significant project. And then the, the pace of it, you know, some of them are five, six, seven years to get an approval. And then three years to actually build the thing, that's a decade. And in between that decade, guess what? A million people have shown up here. And so that starts to add pressure onto the, the system. And, we, and then people start talking about the, you know, the, the aspect of it being a bubble. And we're in the middle of probably the weirdest recession 
in our lifetimes. You know, there's generally full employment, uh, and, but we've got inflation and we've got relatively high interest rates. I know not historically high, I totally get it, but high compared to our recent experience. This is a weird space to be in. And so it's easy to maybe just sort of put our head under the covers and say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about these big tech companies that might, I got mm-hmm. other stuff to worry about. But I think it's important for us, including the listeners and, and the four of us in this room to be thinking about, there's all these different dimensions we got to be paying attention to. You know, the digitization of this. I'm still shocked that we're faxing stuff around sometimes. It, it feels mind-blowing to me. I, I think there's other things that are going to be factors on the industry that there's such a state of change that's happening sort of all at once. COVID shone a very bright light on real estate because it showed all of a sudden, oh, I can use DocuSign or whatever product that you like, whatever, but different things like that to start moving things around. And it was kind of a glimpse into the future about how things happen. And back to your original question, I think, you know, it's a complex world with a lot of different stuff going on. But I do think the change will be here much sooner in in the grand grand scheme of things than we think. Not to be too crass about it, but I was watching, you know, the end of the year, the Spotify raps and things like that. And I guess certain artists thank people who listen to their you know, you're one of my top listeners or whatever. And it was Weird Al Yankovic, not on my Spotify rap, but I saw a a thing where he said, hey, it turns out I've got, you know, eight and a half million plays or whatever this year. And I'm here to thank everybody. You know, I got $12. Thanks for the sandwich. Yeah, thanks for the sandwich. You saw it. So like one thing that strikes (laughs) me... still connected, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one thing that strikes me about that is like, I guess the deflationary technology is deflationary, but also as... Presumably, the money in real estate is not, it's just going to change to, there, there's certain people that are going to, like, this is a, a moment where those who have and are well capitalized now in the next 10 years, presumably, are going to get a lot more out of this industry, Yeah, would be my guess in the end. And, and it goes back to that commission's kind of question at the start. And it's not, you know, that's not why I do this, but uh, it is kind of interesting to think of that pressure on everyone in the industry, I guess. Well, if you look at what happened like with entertainment, like the the rise of big tech, uh, uh, you know, uh, the good news was everybody had access to everything all of a sudden. Both consumers, you can hear, you know, I want to hear a Beatles cut that never made it. You you can find it online, that type of thing. Now, and that was the good news. And I can get my stuff out there and the 17-year-old in his basement can do all that stuff. That's also the bad news because there's, uh, you know, uh, four or 500 million other creators out there pushing their stuff out and, and doing all those types of things. And I think that's one of the things the financial services are kind of worried about as this thing's starting to shift on them. I think that was one of the paranoias around uh, Bitcoin was that, oh my God, like, are we going to, you know, will traditional currency and traditional banking be blown away by this kind of combination of open banking and neo-banking done this way? There's been a bunch of reasons why it hasn't happened, but I, I, I do kind of think that the, the money will still be there. Not not just commissions, uh, uh, listeners, but the uh, the money in the ecosystem will still be there. It may be, end up being distributed differently, and the co- the competition will come from different places, maybe even places we haven't thought of yet, hmm. and function in different ways. But uh, I think that will be a big part of the shift. And the flow of money into or as a result of of real estate, whether it's development or, to Jeff's points earlier, I mean, there's more money flowing to municipalities just through taxation and, you know, and and provincial government and other areas than ever before. So money can be found in other areas. The thing that I think the real estate industry and and this one, I would say, is probably more popular of the various (laughs) things that I, the controversial uh, comments (laughs) that I say, 
But one area that this industry has done a really poor job on on making sure that the compensation actually fits the role is the managing broker. Mm. And and it, it is fundamental in the in organized real estate. Managing brokers do not get paid enough for the job that they take on. And especially as the environment continues to evolve and there's more pressure on them from a legal and a liability and, mm. a, and a responsibility totally. perspective. Yeah. And every realtor that you talk to says, yes, absolutely. But every realtor that makes a decision on which brokerage they're going to go to is going to be the cheapest. I don't care what, what the managing broker is bringing <laughs> yeah. to the table. Yeah, yeah. And so, so I think that, you know, like we can talk about the value proposition and, and the, the, uh, those that are established today actually being the ones that are rewarded down the road as things evolve, whether from a, from a monetary perspective. But I think as an industry, we need to figure out, you all need to figure out, like I don't think it's Jeff's in my role, but to figure out how that money is even flowing today in the ecosystem today and how people are getting rewarded. Because as things change, the consumer is going to decide. Mm-hmm. Like we can sit back and we can say all day long, this is who should get the money or this is how somebody should get rewarded or this is what they are owed for, for what they bring. doesn't matter. The consumer will let us know and we need to figure that out first. And, and and sort of on that point, just if I may, layered with all that, including the economics and the technology and the regulatory and legal elements and the pressure on the brokers, which I think is an excellent point, we're about to see, this is partly why I think it's going to happen faster than maybe some folks are saying, we're about to see the largest transfer of wealth in human history over the next seven years. You know, uh, uh, the boomers retiring, dying off, selling their businesses, selling their homes, all that type of stuff. Trillions of dollars, including in a small economy like Canada, in the grand scheme of things, uh, trillions of dollars moving to another generation or being dispersed or, or being moved off and all those types of stuff. That's going to be a huge flow. You know, we saw what happened with the, when the governments were printing money like it was going out of style, which was, I think, economically the right move to make because we didn't know where COVID was going to go. But we saw the impact that had on that. Now, this is not increasing the pie the same way, but it's flowing through the pie. And then so all of a sudden, we're going to have a whole generation of people that right now are bemoaning they can't afford houses because they can't. And the, the rules basically stop that from happening. But eventually, they'll be inheriting grandpa's house or grandpa will sell the business and help finance something. And that'll start to shift it. And guess what? Those consumers that Trevor was just talking about, those consumers are going to be looking for what's a fast, secure, transparent way for me to do this transaction. Kind of period. You know, and then the... The human elements of it is where realtors can help add some extra parts to help differentiate themselves to be able to do that. It's not just giving gifts and all that. And uh, here's a, you know, one set up for uh, for Christmas or something like that. But the idea that you're a trusted ally and an advisor, because people will become and they'll be ready and they'll be armed with data and with money and all this other stuff. My parents are doing a good job of spending every single dollar <laughs> that they have. <laughs> There's going to be no transfer, <laughs> not even of wealth, like yeah. no transfer. Yeah. Period. Yeah. yeah, I think it was a negative transfer when my parents. Said, <laughs> yeah. What do I owe? Yeah, what do I owe? What do we have to pay this? Yeah. We, we do have this segment called the Five Wire that we end every show with five quick, lighthearted questions. Can you stick around for that? Rapid fire? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sure. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect 
five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. All right. So one book that you have read recently that you would recommend, and we'll start with Jeff. Uh, No Man's Land. And it's about companies that uh, uh, are starting to grow, and uh, but they don't have the scale. And how do they move to the next part? Hmm, great. And Trevor? I'm currently reading uh, Going Infinite by Michael Lewis, uh, author of uh, oh, Moneyball right. and yeah. uh, mm-hmm. The Big Short about uh, Sam Bankman-Fried and, and uh, the, the FTX scenario. And it's, it's uh, fascinating. Yeah. Great one. Fantastic. In the last few years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Jeff? Uh, I ride the Peloton for an hour every day. Great one. <laughs> plug, plug for Peloton. There you go. <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. Pass. Okay. <laughs> Is that allowed? I, I thought you were going to say you hang around with <laughs> me more or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's never happened, but we're going to allow it. Oh, wow. <laughs> Can we check with the judges? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, question number three. What have you been binge watching lately or a movie recommendation? Okay. So on the binge watching, I've become obsessed on financial audit which is Caleb Hammer's uh, channel on YouTube where he walks people through their finances. And it's, uh, it's oh, almost... interesting. Yeah. And uh, it's fascinating to see different stages people are at and how, how he sort of talks to them. And Financial some, Hammer? Uh, no, his Habit. name's... Uh, Habit. Ha- uh, audit. 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 And his name's Caleb Hammer, like Hammer oh, and Nail. Caleb Hammer. Yeah. And so I've been kind of binge watching him. And, that sounds uh, kind of yeah. Crazy. Is he be- is it better than because the only other thing that I was that kind of sounds like this is uh, Dave Ramsey, but yeah. he's got a podcast. But it's everybody's like it's so you know it, feels, I, it doesn't apply to Can- yeah, Canada. I'm in like eight hundred thousand dollars in debt. I just got a new car loan. You know, and there any- is some of that. And then he's kind of in that universe yeah. with Ramsey and with uh, uh, Graham Stephan. Uh, so Graham Stephan was on the show uh, two or three weeks ago and did a financial audit on Caleb Hammer. <laughs> sort of said, "Why you spend so much on going out and all this type of yeah, stuff?" Yeah. But uh, there is some parts of it. But uh, yeah, I've, I've have been binge watching it, and you sort of yeah. see different things and small business people who you know they take on two hundred thousand dollar loans because they think they're getting a big account, but they're basing it off of some you know a hand a handshake that had the, the where they made eye contact at a conference right. you know and, uh, and uh, somehow they talked to bank and they get a loan so i anyways i've been doing that and find that kind of interesting yeah, good one i am not a binge watcher and <laughs> and anybody that knows i think me i know who's getting invited back <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. i'm doing really good is this another these. pass no 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 <laughs> well you threw out i we started talking about podcasts and i can share a couple of those um but on watching, we talked about, uh, Jeff brought up Nintendo a while ago. Mm. Um, I, I don't remember the name of the movie, but it's about the, uh, the introduction of Tetris. And I watched that. Did you? Yeah. It Where really, was really it on? Good. Maybe Amazon Prime? It, yeah. It's a great movie though. Yeah. I don't oh, yeah? remember. I mean, a quick search. I think it's literally called Tetris maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but okay. since you brought it up, I watched that one recently and really, yeah, really enjoyed it. I enjoy those, those picks about like actual events that, uh, whether, 
whether they're accurate or right. not. But yeah. it's the American businessman who goes to the yeah. so- Soviet, Soviet Russia yeah. and has oh, to navigate yeah. the whole... It it's super fascinating. Yeah. It's, yeah. That was a great one. And yeah. the, the movies I love the most, uh, and I, this is kind of a recent realization for me, are ones sort of around real events. And I love business movies. So like yeah. Margin Call, The Big Short, yeah. Yeah. Too Big to Fail, all those things. I get obsessed on them and I'll yeah. watch them a couple, two or three times. Yeah. And, and you're right. You don't even know how accurate they are, but I sort of love that part of it. I'm very yeah. drawn towards it. There's, en- there's enough re- truth and reality yeah, to yeah, it yeah. that it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'll check that out. Favorite band or music? Jeff, I guess this one uh, being in the... <laughs> all right, well... Or, or, or most I've been well-trained on this one. Yeah. Uh, the uh, So I like all of them. But, uh, <laughs> um, so when I got my uh, uh, feed of what I listen to the most, I'm in the top 2% of Led Zeppelin listeners on wow. Earth. Yeah, and, uh, Have you met any Jimmy Page? or uh, I met uh, Robert Plant at a uh, Bedem conference in uh, Cannes in uh, France uh, years ago. But, uh, it wow. was just like, it wasn't even a meet and greet. It was just sort of, here he is. He's a go get us money. And then that was about it. But um, <laughs> uh, but on the next podcast, I'll talk about the weekend's 30th birthday, which was an event. Wow. <laughs> but, That's um, for the teaser. Matt and Adam do music podcast. That's a- <laughs> yeah. But I, I, you know, obviously, like, I love music. Uh, uh, you know, music's one of those uniquely human things. There's, uh, there's birds and some sea animals uh, like whales and, and dolphins and such that do it. But generally, it's humans that use it as a form of uh, communication. And there's a book, uh, it'll come to you in a bit. But uh, aliens come to Earth and uh, they're attracted because they've picked up that we've got, we're, we're doing music. And then they use music to communicate with us. It's not close encounters, but it's that type of thing. But uh, music does have a, a powerful uh, sort of connection for most humans. Not everyone. Not everyone's mm-hmm. connected to it. But uh, for some that, that do, it's, it's kind of fascinating. And then the thing I've kind of noticed, uh, certainly with like a new job, and uh, my family still lives in Ontario and I live out here in Vancouver. Uh, there was a study years ago that said when uh, when you're under stress or got a lot of things on your mind and and such, uh, you often will listen to music that was important to you between the ages of 17 and 21. And that's a formative time for them. And it's just sort of the way the brain gets wired. And at that time, I was big into Zeppelin and the Beatles and Billy Squire and all that stuff. And I was mindful of that when I got the thing from... Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. I thought, yeah, maybe I'm stressed out and, uh, and I'm working out listening to, uh, you know, classic Zep- uh, rock albums and right. stuff like that. So, yeah. So anyways, yeah. Thanks for the softball and music. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Trevor. Do you want to hear about how copyright law works? <laughs> 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 yeah. I want to hear about the weekend's 30th birthday. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's classic uh, CCR, uh, The Who, The Guess Who. And then if you go uh, more, the, the people that you can still go see today will go to uh, Matthew Good, uh, who was mm. here recently, yeah. or uh, Tea Party. Uh, oh, and, and a lot of Canadian that, that kind of, uh, music. Yeah, a lot. There. Yeah, yeah. Even, even I would say through kind of university years, it was a lot of the Canadiana that. Yeah, yeah. That, and both my wife and I are kind of aligned on that. So yeah, we go to we go to as much of that kind of stuff as we can. Cool. Yeah. Do you guys like music? Yeah. Again, uh, yeah. <laughs> never answered a question on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I we we listen to a lot of classic rock as well. I yeah. listen to a lot of classic rock. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But I I can relate to that. The formative years, going yeah. back to the formative years, I feel like that's uh, it's got to be true for a lot. I, of people. I was literally just at a, a a punk rock concert on the weekend. That a band that I listened to when I was seventeen. I was like, and it was amazing. Every white guy in their forties yeah. in the city was there. <laughs> it's unreal how that works, eh? Yeah, I, I've done this talk at uh, a different sort of music industry events, and all these events and all these industries are basically the same. 
But, uh, and, and I, I sort of quote this and then you look out and there'll be maybe hundreds of people, maybe, and they're all nodding. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was right into whatever it is, the stones or, you know, the classic rock seems to have a really strong, powerful pull, but for some people it's disco or Lady Gaga or whatever it is. All right, good. I saw a, a friend posted recently, what is the decade of music that you could mm. uh, live without, that you could just have disappear? Oh, interesting. Huh. Mm. Yeah, that's actually, that might actually take over the question number five. <laughs> yeah, actually, that is a good one. Let's, yeah. uh, let's do that. Uh, well, not, to, not to be cheeky, uh, but, uh, you know, I could probably live without the 1920s, 1930s. <laughs> That's um, my go-to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to frame that post-1950. You're offending too many of our yeah. listeners with that answer. Yeah. But even that, I like some old ragtime. You know, maybe you're right. You know. yeah. But um, no, I, I, you know, uh, this is going to date me, but uh, I, I'm not, not super huge on early 2000s. Yeah. You know, I... Yeah, I feel like it would be somewhere in the last 20 years for me would yeah. disappear. Because I would, I actually, I feel like I all weirdly listen to 50s more than I listen to some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. What's it for you? This one. This one? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't listen to anything today. Yeah, yeah I, I was on a, a different podcast a while ago and they're asking me, you know, what's the new music I listen to now? I know almost none of it. Yeah. You know, That's and, uh, and I, I know Taylor Swift's doing a tour and she's bringing a billion dollars to Canada and all that stuff, but I couldn't name more than two songs maybe, Yeah, you know, and so I'm not that clientele. Yeah. You're better for it. <laughs> wait, wait, Adam, Adam. Oh, I, uh, well, yeah, I would have said like maybe the early 2000s if I didn't like uh, hip hop, because I feel like there's some good rap music from that uh-huh. era, but yeah, I actually probably this one as well, maybe, yeah. maybe it's just. Yeah, my age, I don't have enough time to find new music anymore. But Spotify actually does a pretty good job of putting music in front of my wife and I mm. that I would have never yeah. listened to. It's like the yeah, new, yeah. like it's it's the the AI component there actually works really well. So I mean, if if you if you want quantity, then you've got to you've got to get rid of an earlier decade, right? Because there's so much music and access to music today yeah. that that we wouldn't that we never had before. Mm. Yeah, artists artists can be artists in in a public forum now that they couldn't before. Totally, right. yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Well, how can people find out more about BCREA and REBGV or learn more? Is there a, well, pu- and a also joint the, publication? Yeah, you wanna... I was going to say the the magazine. Yeah. Oh, right. So, yeah, I, from from our perspective, uh, we're we're just changing, going through an evolution on our on our comms, uh, comms and marketing coming into twenty twenty four. So. The public will see a different face for BCREA and realtors will start to see more in their inbox uh, from uh, as far as, far as uh, uh, production. One of our main constituents is, is managing brokers. We're doing a lot of support around managing brokers. So anybody out there listening, I would really encourage them to go to the website and we've got a managing broker portal and go and find out more information there. And then the thing that I always share that I'm that I probably should stop and uh, <laughs> I, but it it doesn't seem to be catching on is my cell phone and email are both uh, on the website on on BCREA's website. So if people need to reach out to me directly, then uh, that accessibility is there. Wow, perfect. Yeah. So we're undergoing a rebrand, and uh, which will include a, a new name for RevGV in the not too distant future. Oh wow! So the, that's a teaser for everyone to uh, listen. To Is this an exclusive? I, I've for just us? I've <laughs> just got RevGV down, so that went late to that part. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> it took me a while, uh, the, uh, but uh, but yes, you can uh, check out our website. And we're going to be doing a, a bunch of rebranding of that uh, early in 2024. 
I can be found on uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, I can't accept any more connections. I'm at the max. Uh, believe it or not, they have a max, which I didn't think. <laughs> No uh, big deal. So cool. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got offered an influencer uh, contract from uh, Microsoft. I got, got 30,000 contacts. And then they said, oh, you, you qualify as an influencer. And I said, I don't want to do that. Uh, then I'm on, uh, tw- on X as, uh, at uh, Jeff King 17 uh, And uh, you say 17, why 17? Jeff King's a shockingly common name. Uh, uh, my uh, my next door neighbor in Toronto is named Jeff King, you know, and uh, you probably should have him on the podcast. He's much more entertaining. But uh, but you know, here's it shows the sexiness of this industry because uh, I have uh, about thirteen thousand followers on X now, and uh, when I uh, left uh, the music industry, I had seventy five thousand. Oh wow! <laughs> the purge. The purge has happened. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, well, well, thanks so much for taking the time and coming down to the studio. We we ran ninety minutes. That that flew oh by. Oh my god! That, that was, was uh, but it was a fascinating conversation. Sounds yeah. good. So, okay. Apologies to your listeners. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine they're still listening. But. Well, that's why we put all the juicy stuff at the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Thanks, thanks guys. Thanks. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Trevor Coote, CEO of the British Columbia Real Estate Association, and Jeff King, CEO of the Real Estate Board of Greater Vancouver. Rev GV. That's uh, right. You know what? I, I actually, I, that was really one of the best conversations. Like what a, what a conversation for episode 400. And then they stuck around for a bit because we had to hear the weekend's 30th birthdays. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was great. He had some, so it was the weekend. Chad Kroger or Kruger from Nickelback. Nickelback, Uh, The only thing that will be repeated from that story is that guy knows how to party. We'll we'll, we'll leave it there. But he's, he's worked with so many or works and or knows so many A-list global celebrities. Right. Right. And, you know, partying in the Hollywood Hills and, and all the rest. Yeah. And it's such a weird thing to think of moving from that world to you know, the world of Vancouver real estate. Well, the only thing that I think we all agreed on was that, uh, you know, the celebrity world, there's some big egos, but nowhere near as big as Medallion award-winning realtors. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't say that. We said that. No, we said uh, that. But just <laughs> go to a Medallion dinner. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit more peacocking. Uh, anyways, so uh, what else do we have for today? I, I want to plug, I man, we had some really also really good five wire takeaways and great recommendations. But man, I just finished uh, The Holdovers last night, which oh, is the new right. Alexander Payne movie. Yeah, yeah. Which is like the best Paul Giamatti. movie. Paul Giamatti. Yeah. I got to say, I this morning I woke up like my eyes were puffy. It's like uh, I was like ugly crying on the couch uh, <laughs> last night. The ending is crazy. Uh, anyways, that's like, uh, the best one of the best movies I've seen in years. Wow, that's and it's called strong the endorsement. That is a strong, strong, strong endorsement. But it's a good, it's a good Christmas movie. But it's, uh, I think the idea is it's set in like seven, 1970, 1971. But it's filmed to look like a movie from like the late eighties, early nineties. But then I was, I, I didn't realize that Alexander Payne, the director, when I started actually researching him, he did Sideways. Yeah. The, which is like an, a great movie. They say Paul Giamatti's his muse. Oh, really? No, I don't know. Oh. I just made that up. But he was in that. <laughs> he yeah. was inside. He was in well. that. But yeah. then uh, he also did, there's uh, the really good George Clooney movie, The Descendants. Right. 
Uh, I don't think I've seen that one. Which is really good. But anyways, there's when you look at all of his movies, you're like, oh man, this guy just, just go down a rabbit hole of great that, movies. That guy's like movies. every single movie is fantastic. So yeah, highly recommended. What else right. do we got? What else do we got? We got VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com for things like the Live Wire. This is our weekly mailer where you see oof, deal of the month, stats before anyone else, different types of stats. We also have, of course, tried and true private client services. Yeah, Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Just click buy with us. You can set up your own free PCS account. You get sold prices. It's fantastic. And what a time to be monitoring the market. What a time. It's like you said that 400 times. Yes. Corey saw that, thought that was recorded once, which was funny. Yeah. If you want to talk about that or anything else, give me a shout. 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And of course, we got that Kokomo line info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And on a very serious note, we do really just want to thank everybody for listening. I can't believe we're at 400 and we appreciate you sticking around. And, and whether you're a new listener or someone who's been here since episode one, we appreciate you being a part of the I didn't think community. anyone was there at episode one. No, there's a couple people. <laughs> there are some people. Uh, anyways, uh, thanks again. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Give us a review or join us next week for another great episode. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.